Well, it's great to be together this morning. Really loved uh, being in the, the worship, just the sense of the presence of God. You know, at the start of the year, our preaching focused on us being more fruitful. God's great plan for us is that we bear fruit for him so that others are impacted by the gospel, the good news about Jesus and all that Jesus has accomplished for us by dying on the cross for us. And today, this is the second in our new series, which is focusing on God's power for us to enable us to effectively bring the gospel to the world we live in, whether that be in school, whether that be in college, whether that be in university, whether that be in the workplace, at the school gate, in our community, wherever we are. And this morning we're looking at the power of an invitation from John chapter 1 verses 43 to 49. And we're going to read bits of it as we go through this morning. Power of an invitation. I don't know about you, if you've ever experienced the power of an invitation. I experienced the power of an invitation back in uh, 1984 in Minehead of all places, and it was an invitation. The power of that invitation transformed my life. I had uh, gone to uh, a week away uh, at, uh, it was called Summer Westworld at the time in Minehead, and uh, I'd gone just for some fun with a youth group and people from the church that I was connected with, but I wasn't walking with God. In fact, my life was a long way from God. I'd been running from God, running from him. I'd been running for a long time, hiding from him, like hidden in a cave, foolishly trying to keep out of his sight. And then I got dragged to a meeting. Literally, I got dragged to a meeting. And I remember sitting uh, somewhere two-thirds of the way back in uh, a room that was quite dark. Uh, it was uh, the youth meeting. I, at 20, 23, I still considered myself a youth, and um, still do now, actually. But, um, so I was two-thirds of the way back. It was dark, and this guy gets up to speak, a guy called Dennis Birch. And um, he started to speak from a passage in 1 Kings chapter 19. And he started to talk about a man called Elijah, a man who'd known God and yet was running away and was running away from God. And talked about him, how he'd run so far and he ended up hiding in a cave, hidden from God. And as he started to unpack the story... He said, some of you today have been running away from God and you're hiding. You're like hiding in a cave. And then as he unpacked the story about how God came and called Elijah to come out of the cave, invited him to come out into a new future, he said, there are some of you like that here today. And I heard, I heard God call me, say, it's time to come out of your cave. You've been there too long. You've been running too long. It's time to stop running. It's time to come out. And God invited me to come out. Didn't force me to. It was a gentle invite. There was no force to it. There's no you have to come out. God said, I want you to come out. Why don't you come out? That day, I responded to God's invitation. And it changed the course of my life. See, God invites us 
It's the message of the Bible. Right through the Bible, all the way through, we read of a God who is inviting us and calling us to come and draw near to him. This is what he says in Isaiah 55. Come to me that your soul may live. Come to me that your soul may live. As Jesus, his son, walked the earth, Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. God's Spirit is still calling us to come to him today. He's inviting us to draw near to him. This morning, God is going to speak to us about the power of an invitation. You see, as we open the Gospels, as we open Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and we read about Jesus' life, it becomes apparent to us that God's good news, the good news about what God wants to do in our lives and how God wants to be our Father and draw us into a relationship with Him, it, we understand it always it involves people and it always involves an invitation. Jesus speaks through the book of John and through the other Gospels at least on seven occasions to uh, invite individuals and groups of people to follow him. God's plan was always that his son would take on human form, become a man just like us, so that he would reveal what God was like. It's only as we look at Jesus that we really understand what God is like. In the Old Testament, it's all sort of shadows and we don't see very clearly. As we look at Jesus, we see for the first time what God is like. And so whenever we read the Old Testament, we always have to view it through the image of Jesus. We always have to view it through the life of Jesus to understand Because if we don't, we'll get confused. We look at Jesus. Jesus is the one who reveals the Father to us. Jesus came like light breaking into darkness. Jesus is the light of men. He brings life. Jesus brings life. Jesus brings spiritual life. To people who are spiritually dead... Dead to God, Jesus brings spiritual life. God's invitation is not to come to meetings. It's not to come to buildings or to religious places. God invites us to come to himself because he loves us as we were singing about this morning. As John's gospel starts telling us the good news of Jesus, we see God's love for people like you and people like me. We see him interacting with all sorts of people. Fishermen, a religious leader called Nicodemus. We see one of King Herod's officials turning to to ask Jesus for help, coming to Jesus, turning to God. We find a Samaritan woman coming to him. Despise Samaritans finding faith in Christ. Jesus' invitation is to all because God is a seeking God. He's a seeking God. We're going to read a bit of a passage here from John chapter 1. This is what it says. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. 
Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. God is a seeking God. We have here in these verses a little cameo of an insight into the problem of the human heart. John tells us, he says, that Jesus found Philip. A little later, Philip says, we have found him. We found Jesus. So who found who? Who found who? I don't know if you've ever uh, been on, had, uh, if you've, uh, maybe you've got, Uh, had young children yourself or maybe you've got a family with young children or maybe you know people but at Easter time they do Easter egg hunts and um, what often happens go and hide little Easter eggs around the garden and uh, the the little ones uh, go with little uh, baskets or boxes or bags or whatever and they go and try and find the Easter eggs and uh, if you uh, have ever done it and been involved in you know what happens basically they unless they are right in front of them they don't see them. And so if you've hidden them or slightly hidden them, you have to say, why don't you go and look over, over there? Just, just, just a little further. Why don't you look just, just, around the, just around that corner? On that, can you see? And they go, oh. They come running, their faces all bright. Oh, look, look what I found. I found. Look what I found. Did they? Did they find it? Did they really find it? They would have found it in a million years. They wouldn't have found it, would they? Spurgeon uses an illustration of a pin that seemingly moves across a table. And it looks like it's moving under its own power. But he says you know as the pin is moving that there's, there's someone hand underneath the table with a magnet that's moving it. It won't move by itself. There's someone working behind the scenes doing something. You see, we tend to view things from our own perspective. Essentially, we're really self-focused. Occasionally, we see beyond that and we see how something that affects us and that affects other people as well. You see, that's the root of the problem of what the Bible calls sin. We're a very self-focused people. It's about us. God isn't the center of our lives, not the center of our world. And, and so we think we have found God. We haven't found God. He has found us first of all. You see, God created us to le- love and enjoy relationship with himself. He was to be the center of our world. He was to be the center of our communities. He was to be the center of our individual lives. But as a result of rejecting God and turning our back on him, we live in a world where everything is about us. It's about how we think, how we feel. The world is me-centric. Spurgeon sums it up like this. The Lord, with his mighty magnet of grace, is often at work on the hearts of men, And we think that their desire after God and their faith in Christ are of themselves. Philip thinks he's finding Jesus, but behind the veil, it is Jesus finding Philip. 
You might think, oh, come on, Steve, that's just a bit of semantics. I mean, I personally have said, uh, uh, talked about, I found Jesus. I've used language like that myself. But Paul is clear in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are dead in our sins. We are dead in our sins. And dead people can't do anything. If we are spiritually dead, we cannot bring ourselves back to spiritual life. We're dead. Our sin prevents us drawing near to a holy God. Our sin prevents us from coming into his presence. He is holy in all his ways. And so God calls us. We can't find him unless he first finds us. Theologians have a word for it. It's called prevenient grace. God sent Jesus to save us while we were still sinners. God demonstrates his love, own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing attractive in us. There was nothing that that went, oh, that's a good deal. God's not thinking, that's a good deal for me. He's a good guy. If he's on my side, we'll be more effective. We were dead in our sin, and Christ came for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. How amazing is that? He found us and redeemed us. He bought us back. He paid a great price for us. We're told in the uh, book of Corinthians that we've been bought at a price. And that price was God's own son dying for us, dying in our place. Great personal cost. When we were steeped in our self-centeredness, Jesus died for us. God punished him in our place. God's right anger, rightful anger at our rebellion has been dealt with because Jesus took our punishment so that we might know God. God isn't angry with us anymore because Christ has died for us and all we need to do is put our trust in Jesus to receive forgiveness. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you in John chapter 15. And if we're exploring Christianity, and if you're exploring Christianity this morning, it is only because behind the scenes the magnet of God's grace is starting to work on you and in your life. Why? God so loves us that he seeks us out. It's why Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. You see, Jesus was always out amongst people. He was out in the villages, in places like Bethany, down by the River Jordan, in the temple, in meetings, at weddings, and out in the countryside. And encounters with Jesus, when he met people, he was always changing lives. He was always inviting them into a relationship with his father. At a wedding in Cana, they disastrously ran out of wine. And Jesus turns water into wine and meets the need of the And it says at the end that his disciples put their trust in him. They saw what he did and they went, wow, we're going to put our trust in him. This invitation is too good to pass by. There were moments when he met a guy called Nicodemus at night. 
Nicodemus is coming to Jesus at night probably because he's fearful of the Jews and what they're going to say because he's quite important in their religious system. And he comes to ask Jesus questions and his encounter with Jesus, Jesus invites him to a new way of living and we see through the Gospels how by the end of the Gospels and by at the time that Jesus has died and uh, been, been buried in a tomb, actually Nicodemus has changed. Something has happened. He's taken up this great invitation. We come across a midday encounter with a Samaritan woman at a well. And an encounter with Jesus results in an invitation that changes her colourful lifestyle and impacts her whole community. You see, we think people can only meet Jesus in church or in Alpha. They do, but Jesus can and still will meet people anywhere, wherever they are. By the water meadows, in a coffee shop, at a party. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. An invitation from Jesus can happen in the schoolyard, can happen in college, it can happen in the canteen at work. It can happen in the car park at Tesco. An invitation from Jesus can change a life in a moment. Jesus is still seeking people because he's a seeking God. The second thing we see is that there's a clash of kingdoms. This is what Nathaniel said. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I'm sure Philip was like, he'd come, he was really excited, really excited about what he'd seen, the person that he met, this person Jesus, and he goes to him and he tells him, we said, we found the person that the Old Testament talks about. We've seen everything in shadows, but now he's here, I've seen him. That's, what, that's essentially what Philip is doing. He said, you know what it says in the Old Testament. He said, well, we've, I, we found him. He's the one. He's the image of the invisible God. That's, that's what's behind what Philip said. He is so excited. And Nathaniel, in a moment, pours cold water all over it. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Anything good? I remember when I, uh, after that time in Minehead, and I got my first job a few months later, and I was working in uh, a place called Pentlegare in North Swansea. And uh, I was working for the council. And, uh, and I remember being really, I was just really excited about my faith. I was really excited about what God had done in my life. The power of the invitation that had changed my life. I was so excited. And I remember I would talk, a, I would, I would talk about it in the office when I got an, uh, an appropriate opportunity. I remember the enforcement officer, Alan. I remember there were moments, I remember the moments, the glass doors by the office, I remember him standing or uh, coming outside the door, going on his knees and kneeling and pretending to pray. And everybody in the office laughing, mocking me because of my faith. I remember those moments, people taking the rip because of what I believed. Philip excitedly tells his friend he's found the Messiah. And I, I'm sure he was expecting a really positive response. Maybe you've experienced cynical responses. It's the clash of two kingdoms. 
a rationalistic worldview, Western worldview, doesn't take kindly to that sort of talk. They don't like the talk of a devil and a, a kingdom of darkness. The Bible is really clear that this world has been under the power of the evil one. And that Jesus has broken in like light into darkness and he is bringing light into people's lives. And there is a clash of kingdoms. Jesus' invitation is a clash, results in a clash of kingdoms. You see, we read that Philip himself came from a place called Bethsaida, as did Simon Peter and Andrew, all became disciples of Jesus. Bethsaida was a place that became synonymous, became known for its rejection of Jesus. This is what Jesus says of the place. He says, Bethsaida, if Tyre and Sidon had seen half of the powerful miracles you have seen, they'd have been on their knees in a minute. How can that be? They see Jesus walk through the village doing miracles. Simon Peter, Andrew, Philip, Numbers of people come to faith, but loads of the people, most of the people in Bethsaida turn around and they're cynical. It's a clash of kingdoms. The gospel always provokes a response. Jesus is the light of the world and his presence exposes what's going on in our hearts and we don't like it. We don't want people to know. We don't want anyone else to know what's going on in our hearts. And if we want to invite people to encounter Jesus without without expecting there to be on occasions negative responses, we haven't read the message of the Bible. Jesus has and always will divide people. This is what it says in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. For their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. And it shouldn't surprise us when even those who are closest to us, who we have our closest relationships with, that sometimes they are cynical about our faith in Jesus. I remember years ago in uh, school, I was in Alpha Comprehensive School in Swansea, and um, uh, I remember the Christian Union ran an event, and uh, uh, I was in the sixth form at the time, so um, we were rounding up people to come to this event. One of the ladies uh, who was one of the teachers in the school who was a Christian said, I've got this Christian ventriloquist. I know this Christian ventriloquist. He's really good. It'd be a great thing to, to have uh, an event on a lunchtime. So we just, we hadn't seen the guy, didn't know what he did. Anyway, so we, hi- uh, we got hold of the South Hall in the school and uh, literally several, we got several hundred uh, 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 kids there. And I remember there were all loads of people from the sixth form block that I knew. Um, and uh, I just remember when this guy gets up on stage, and I was sort of sitting quite upright in my seat, um, probably uh, not quite slouching like Rob, but more like Jonathan over there, and um, sitting, sort of sitting upright and, oh, this is going to be good. And then he gets up on stage and he goes, Hello, children. 
How are you doing? And I'm thinking, inside I'm thinking, oh no. And he gets his little puppet and he goes, say hello to the children. And he, they sort of, so any of you from up north, I'm sort of apologise for the accent. So he starts doing, starts doing this and he goes, and then he starts going, dancing across the stage like this and he's got this little ditty that the puppet sings. And I mean like, the, I mean the sixth formers, they are, oh this is the best thing ever best thing ever. By within about five minutes, I'm virtually horizontal on my seat. I was just like, and I just remember going into the sixth form block uh, subsequently, and I go into the sixth form, and have you ever seen um, Torchwood, uh, uh, those sort of things, Doctor Who? Well, one of the the guy who, uh, a guy called Russell T. Davis was uh, was involved, the producers in, in those. Well, he was, he was in my year at school. And I remember, and he was a great mimic, and he was, he was a really sharp guy. And I just remember hearing him in the sixth form block, absolutely ripping it to shreds, singing this little ditty, and everybody roaring. And I just remember going through the sixth form block with that <laughs> head down, like that. People are you know, I, I, and actually, to be honest, they were rejecting probably the messenger, not the message, okay? The message stood true, but actually the way it was presented was absolutely incorrect. Should have, the lesson was, need to see what's going on before you set up something like that. Learning lesson. But it was, it was that moment, but there was an opportunity. There was an opportunity, and we took it, and, and it ended up, it didn't end up well. We, it, we were mocked. I want to tell you, Jesus himself was mocked. It's what we read in Matthew 27. It's what happened to the early church in Antioch. The people of the city mocked them. That's why they were called Christians. It was a nickname. It wasn't a positive nickname. They were mocking them. Christ-like ones. Little Christs. Mocking them. And we, can, we need to... It's how we respond in those moments. We either... Our heads sink or we stand up. Nathaniel is cynical. He was, re- he was, he was, his just attitude just stinks. And Philip had a choice to make. He could have tried to argue with him. He could have just slunk away and said, oh, he's clearly not interested. He did none of those things. Philip said, come and see. He didn't take it personally. He responded with bold faith. Bold faith. Philip says, come and see. Come and see. Philip was so confident in Jesus that he knew all he had to do was to get Nathaniel into Jesus' presence and to meet him. So he didn't argue with him. He didn't start a fight. He didn't say, don't mock me. He didn't get into any of that. He just said, come and see. Come and see. He was so Expect, and there was a sense of expectancy in him that if I can just get Nathaniel into Jesus' presence, boy, anything could happen. And so he invited him to come and see Jesus for himself. He left the rest to Jesus. Faith like that is infectious. The Samaritan woman I talked about earlier. Uh, she has an encounter with Jesus. She goes back to a village. They know all about her colourful lifestyle, which Jesus talks to her about. Go and get your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're with is not your husband. He's like, well, she's undone. How does he know that about me? 
And so she goes back to her community. Jesus is inviting her to follow him. And she, she's responding. And she goes back to her community. And she says, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Christ? You see, all we need to do is invite people to Jesus' presence. We leave the rest to him. That's the sort of faith that pleases God. So where is Jesus present? Where is Jesus present? Where do we invite him into his, into his presence? Where do we invite people? Jesus himself said, where two or three are gathered together in his name, he will be present by his spirit. And so we immediately think of, well, if I invite them to church, or I invite them to Alpha, and it's true, Jesus is present there. And numbers of people had, have had personal encounters and are still having personal encounters with the risen Jesus because someone invited them. I had a friend who uh, was uh, dying, had a brain tumor, and I remember inviting him, just inviting him. Just, I wrote to him and I said, in fact, first of all, I didn't invite him to offer, I just invited him to come and have a coffee with me. And we built up a friendship and eventually he went along to Alpha and uh, became a, a, a follower of Jesus and, and, later, uh, and later sadly died. But he went to be with Jesus. And there's a power of an invitation. All we need to do is make the invitation. That's all we need to do. You see, Jesus hasn't changed. And so he'll still meet people at parties, at weddings, or out working. Paul says, the Apostle Paul says that as followers of Jesus, we carry Jesus' aroma. And so to some people, we will be the fragrance of life. And to others, we'll be the smell of death. A clash of kingdoms. Our presence will bring it should bring a clash of kingdoms because we are people, men and women, if we belong to Jesus, we are filled with his spirit and we carry his DNA. And so wherever we are, we carry the presence of Jesus. So when you invite people to spend time with you, you are inviting people to spend time with Jesus. You're opening the door of an opportun- a, a door of opportunity. When we offer to pray for people, we're opening the door for an encounter with Jesus Christ. When you say, can I pray for you? You're opening the door, of, you're inviting them to step through. Let me pray for you. I believe Jesus changes situations. He might not do exactly what you think, but he's got, I believe he will break in and he will meet with you. All we need to do is make the invitation whether it be to school friends in the schoolyard and you're talking to some of your friends and you say you know I I I believe Jesus James can I I, I'm going to pray for you what a bold thing to say it's a power of an invitation when you're in university and in the coffee area because as I was a student that's probably where I spent most of my time actually drinking coffee uh, where you're, you're drinking coffee and, you're, and someone so you say, well, let me, why don't you come and I'd love to talk to you about that. The power of an invitation opens the door of opportunity. When you're in the queue in 
Waiter, you're in probably in the wrong queue in Tesco because you, you always end up in the wrong queue, don't you? You always go, well, this is the shortest one. Oh, no, it's not, it's that one. <laughs> and then you, you move over and then that's the short, you know, and it's sort of like, I, 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 tell you, I wonder whether God just allows that to happen to give us opportunities to talk to people around us. As you start to talk to people, as you start to engage with them, they are engaging with the living God because the Spirit of God dwells within you if you are a follower of Christ. Who knows what God might do? We need to make invitations. We need to stop to talk to people. There are moments where we need to stop and say, can I help? The power of an invitation. Who knows what that will lead to? You see, unlike Philip... I don't think we're like Philip. Philip just says, come and see. Most of us, if we're honest, are really not that confident that God's going to show up if we invite people. If we make an invitation, there's something inside that says, oh, oh, please, I really hope he does. Really hope he does. We've prayed for people, and, and I think this is a little bit what happens. We, we pray for people, and we start off when we're young Christians. We pray we're full of faith, and, 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 and then over time, we, tend to, we get to a place where we think, oh, I'm, and in the end, it just becomes words. Have you ever found yourself praying something, and you're not really sure whether you believe it? In the Gospels, we come across four men. They are determined to get a paralyzed man into Jesus' presence. They have said to this guy, come on, we're going to get you to Jesus. Can we take you? The guy will have said yes. So they pick him up and they take him. And they're so determined, they're so confident that if they can just get this man into Jesus' presence... something will happen they have been so confident they could invite him we're going to take you to Jesus are you okay with that the guy says yes they they get to where Jesus they can't get in so they make a hole in the roof and they lower him down into Jesus presence and this guy has the power of an encounter with Jesus Christ but they were so confident they were determined they weren't put off by the crowds outside they weren't put off with having to dig through the roof. They pressed through and dropped him into Jesus' presence because they knew that in Jesus' presence, anything could change. Anything could happen. They were motivated by expectancy. Do we have a sense of expectancy of what God might do? Do we model it? If you're a parent, do you model it to your children? Do you pray about issues? Do you, do you get your children involved in praying with you about stuff? How are they going to learn that God answers prayer if you're not confident yourself? We need to be those who invite our children that, to join with us and pray with us and put their little faith, their little mustard seed of faith with ours. But with the, the key is we have to believe that God is with us and that God hasn't changed. I want to tell you, there's a story in Mark chapter 9. Jesus finds, he comes down the Mount of Transfiguration and he's got three of his disciples with him and he comes down the Mount, gets to the bottom and there's a row that's kicked off. 
And in front of him are the rest of his disciples. And there's a guy with his son, a little, his boy. And this father's boy, he's been, he's been dumb. Since, so he's been dumb for, I think it's since birth. And, and there's a spirit that's throwing him and give it, throwing him into fits. And he's been, uh, he throws himself into the fire. And so he brings him to the disciples, the remainder of Jesus' disciples, and says, heal him, set him free. Please help my boy. He comes with confidence. And the disciples pray, nothing happens. And Jesus comes down and there's a row kicking off between the groups. And the father says, I brought my boy to your disciples. And they couldn't do anything. If you can do something, do something, Jesus. And Jesus says, if you can, if you can. And the guy goes, I I do believe, help me in my unbelief. He says, I'm struggling, I'm battling with this. And then Jesus delivers the boy of the spirit cast out the spirit the boy's healed everybody goes away happy except for the disciples and they come to Jesus and they say why couldn't we do that and Jesus says I well basically you need to pray more you need to be more prayerful I want to say we misunderstand what's happening there I want to tell you we misunderstand what has just happened the disciples are shocked They are shocked because they couldn't deliver the boy. They couldn't heal him. That's their shock. They expected Jesus to heal him when they prayed. They expected it to happen. They were shocked it didn't happen. We are shocked when anything happens. That's what what happens with us. Our response is, oh wow, God's answered prayer. Their response is, why hasn't that happened? Why hasn't God answered prayer? They are in a different place. We need to catch something of their heart and their spirit. They, Jesus sent them out and they saw incredible miracles. They came back saying, wow, when we pray for people, do you know what happens, Jesus? And Jesus says, just remember that your, your names are written in heaven. They were confident. They were shocked that it didn't happen. You see, Jesus said we would do greater things than his first disciples saw. That's what Jesus said. He said we would receive the Spirit. So what's the problem? Are people more cynical today? Has the world become a darker place? No. Is Jesus less able or less interested? No. Jesus hasn't changed. So if the issue's not with him and the issue's not out there, where's the problem? The problem's here. The problem's here. It's one of faith. If Jesus was here, he'd say, oh, you of little faith. He would challenge us about our faith. He wants us to refocus and trust on him. The truth is we live with little or no expectancy of God breaking through. God wants to deal with our hard hearts. It's like a shell that's come over our hearts over the years. He wants us to refocus on him and trust in him. He wants to break that shell and he wants us to grow. He wants us to experience faith rising again for so much more than we've seen. I want us to see a little video clip. Something of what happens in the natural world. Those crabs need to grow. They have a shell that restricts them. 
And there's a moment, there's a season, there's a moment where they come together and it's a moment of breakthrough. They, together they become vulnerable because they have to break out of where they've been. The shell has to be broken. They're not going to grow otherwise. And as I was praying about this morning, I just felt that image came to mind as I was praying. And I felt that God wants to say to us, to me, to you, he wants to say, we have, that shell has become quite hard. We once believed, but it, we, over time we've, we've struggled and we've just become just this, a little bit of cynicism creeping into our hearts in terms of what God can do. We're not, we don't live with that level of expectancy anymore and it's become like a hard, we've become like a hard shell. And God says, it should not be like that. He says, I want you to grow. And this is the moment where we come and I believe God wants to just wants us to come before him and he wants to, us to break the shell that we can come through. It's a vulnerable place to be. It's a risky place to be. But if we're going to grow, that's what God wants to do. You see, if we do, there will be a power encounter. Jesus saw Nathanael and he said of him, this is what he said, behold an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. Nathanael said, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were still under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. There was a moment, there was an encounter you see, Jesus wants us to people to encounter him. Jesus knows people. He knows their beginning and he knows their end. He knows what they're like. He knows their makeup. He sees them. All we need to do is bring people to Jesus and, and believe and be expectant for a power encounter. Be confident he will challenge them. There are moments when Jesus let people walk away because he saw what was in their hearts, the rich young ruler being a case in point. Sometimes people will walk away from the, uh, an encounter with Jesus. You will invite people to something, they will walk away from Alpha and you will be disappointed. But that's, you don't need to worry about that. You just need to keep on inviting, expecting Jesus to encounter and impact lives. Let's listen to afresh what Scripture says to encourage us. This is what it says. This is what Paul says. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. God's call is that desire is this invitation that we come and know him better. The eyes of our heart are enlightened to know what he's called us to, to know his mighty power that dwells within us. The power that dwells within us, the Holy Spirit, is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. 
goes on to say to the Ephesians, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Not less. Now him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Jesus said, we would do greater things. That's what he says in John chapter 14. There is power in our praying. Our prayers are powerful and effective. That's what James tells us. God's word is powerful. That's what the scripture says. When we declare God's word, it doesn't ever return without having an impact. That's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 55 verse 11. It never returns without having an impact. So when we declare the truth, it's the truth that sets people free. There is power in our unity and our diversity. The fact that we come together, such a diverse group of people, and we all love Jesus, there is power present in that. That's what we're told in John chapter 17. God is still seeking people. He's looking for them wherever not just in meetings. And he wants us to be those who take up this challenge to have an invitation list, have an attitude that you're going to be someone who's going to do what he says. You're going to invite people at every opportunity. Not when there's not opportunities, but when God gives you an opportunity and you know, and there are moments you know, God gives you an and you just say, come and see. Let me tell you about. Let me pray for you. You don't have to invite them to a meeting, but there will be a moment where they can encounter Jesus Christ. And we're to be those who believe that as we bring people to Christ, Jesus will do something. We need to be those who lift our eyes. We need to break the shell of our cynicism. And we need to allow God to do something in our hearts that we can grow and we can live in a place of expectancy where who knows what God will do through me today? Who knows if I pray for that person what God might do? God wants to raise our faith levels because God wants to encounter people. The power of an invitation. Can I invite the band to come and join with me? And we're going to respond to God. We're, gonna, we're just going to sing a song, honor him. And there's going to be a moment then when I'm going to invite you to actually do something. And as you do that, I'm going to expect, as I pray for you, that God's spirit that's amongst us is going to do something. For some of you, that shell is going to break. Those of you who are responding in faith, your shell is going to break. You're going to encounter God in the moment. So let's stand together. Let's draw near. Let's open our hearts to him. Father, we open our hearts to you right now. We draw near to you. We lift our eyes to you. We say you're the great God of heaven and earth.